Good morning, everybody. I hope you are happy to be here. I'm happy to be here, and I want to thank all of you that have been praying for me, for my eye. As you can see, I still have one, and uh, it still looks a little nasty, you know, but it doesn't look as bad as it did, and it's doing a lot better. I actually am wearing my contact today for the first time, and uh, so it's all good, and uh, the doctor assures me that it's going to heal, and you know, within a couple of weeks, I won't have any excuses for what I'm not doing, right? Um, but speaking of looking great, you look great today. Now, that's from a guy that can only see out of one eye. But I want you to take that compliment, and I'm so glad that you are here because we are, we've come to the conclusion of our Collide sermon series, and we've been talking about how living for Jesus is going to put us on a collision course with our culture. And if you doubt this, I want you just to listen to the words of Jesus in Mark 13, 13. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, I want you to think about what that's saying. People are going to hate you because of Jesus. That is a collision course with the culture. Now, so far, we have laid this foundation of standing firm in our faith when the world attempts to convince us of a different set of values than what we know we have in the Bible. And then we talked about the importance of allowing God to transform our minds and from there to transform our lives. And last week, we talked about owning God's Word, buying into God's Word, buying into His truth, and holding on to it, and, but also giving it away. And so today, we want to close out our series, and I believe standing firm in our faith has to include an important little four-letter word. You know a lot of four-letter words we don't want to mention, right? I mean, we don't say those words, but here's a four-letter word we should be using. L-O-V-E. Love. We have to love what matters most. Now, I'm sure all of us have had those moments where we had to decide what we loved the most. Have any of you ever had to make that kind of decision? What do I love the most? In fact, uh, if you play sports, some of you are really good athletes, and maybe you've, had to, you, you've played multiple sports, but there comes a time where you might have to decide, well, I, I really want to spend my time in that sport. I've got to make a choice. You know, I might like football and baseball, but, but I'm going to choose football, or I'm going to choose baseball. i got to make a choice. It might be after church today. Where are we going to go eat? Where are y'all eating today? Everybody, on the count of three, just tell me where you're going to eat. One, two, three. Wherever she says. That's the answer. <laughs> now, the problem is, we argue about who makes the choice. No, you make the choice. I don't want to make the choice. You make the choice. No, you know, so, well, you make the choice. Okay, Mexican. I don't want Mexican. 
see what I'm talking about. But uh, we, we have these discussions and we have to make a choice. But it's often choices that are a lot more important than a sport or a restaurant. Often, it's really difficult decisions. As many of you may know or remember, my mom passed away last April. I promise I won't mention my mom every single sermon that I do. But uh, when we got the news from the doctors that her condition had deteriorated to the point that the family was going to really have to step up and they were going to need more support to help take care of her. And I, I tell you, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, you know, I, I knew that I needed to do something. But, you know, I got a job, you know, to, to do. And I went to the elders with that, and the elders said, take a month off. Take a month off. They gave me a month so that I could focus on my mom and whatever she needed me to do. And at that moment, my time with her was more important than anything else. My time with her mattered because it was limited time. And I'm so glad I had that time. And I will be forever grateful to our leaders and to you as a church for allowing me to spend that time with her. Now, it's in moments like that when we realize that every day is a gift. Have y'all figured that out yet? <laughs> every day with someone you love is a gift. And if you hadn't figured that out, I hope you take that home with you. We have to prioritize things in our lives. And at that moment, nothing was more important than spending that time with my mom. Now, I was there when she breathed her last breath on this earth. Um, my brothers were in the house, but they had stepped back to the kitchen. My sister Elaine was not able to be there because of her health. So I was there. But if I hadn't been there, one of us would have been there because we did not want her to leave this earth without knowing one of us was with her. I will never regret that decision to be there for my mom. And I want to say to you in a spiritual sense, we all have to make decisions about what we love most, what is most important, especially when we live in a culture that is vying for our attention. You know, if we, as we've said during the series, if we choose to follow Jesus, we will collide with the world and with its values. And this is especially true when it comes to those things that we pour into our lives. When we decide the things that matter most to us, our time, right, our energy, our resources will reveal what our decision is. What is the most important thing in your life? The Bible talks seriously about the importance of choosing to spend time with God 
in order to grow in our love for God. Our decisions about what we do, where we go, the money we spend, the conversations we have, the, the tenor of those conversations, all of that is going to be instructed by this choice. Does my relationship with God matter more to me than anything else? And as we choose God over the culture, we're going to be drawn closer to God rather than this world. So here's the big idea today. Let us love what matters most and realize that our choice will be evident to those around us. Because when we love God more, it's going to be evident to everybody that knows us. What matters most to us will be shown by our schedules. It will be shown by our values. It will be shown by our conversations. It will be shown by our checkbook. Now, I realize a lot of people don't use checkbooks these days, so maybe the receipts that we receive. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 17. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. But this is the Apostle John writing, and here is what he has to say about this concept. And again, 1 John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Let's read that again. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires do what? Pass away. <clears throat> but whoever does the will of God does what? Lives forever. So the world is full of things that we can love at the expense of our relationship with Jesus. We can love success. You know, in, in our culture, excuse me for my voice, in our culture, we're told to strive to be number one, right? Be number one. And sometimes we become number one and God is put way down here. So we strive according to the culture for success, for money, for status, for accomplishments. And these things can become our idols. We can begin to value them more than we value God. And that's when they become the idol. We need to make the conscious decision to love what really matters most in our life by giving our time and our energy and our affection to Jesus. Now, listen, that doesn't mean we can't have fun. You know, a lot of people that don't know Jesus, when they hear something like, You're just, you just don't want people to have fun. You want to rip the fun right out from under them. But the kind of fun we as Christians have will be determined by our love 
for him. And it's the kind of fun, listen to me, that we can remember. Y'all hear what I'm saying? <clears throat> the world around me wants to flood my mind with things that are temporary. The world defines them as important. These are the most important things when in reality they are the least important things. However, I want my mind to be captured completely in Christ. This is basically what Paul said the work of the gospel is. As he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take what? Captive every what? Thought to make it obedient to Christ. Are you allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to take every one of your thoughts captive so that it is obedient to Christ. This is what he's saying. Otherwise, they will be captive to another spirit. When Paul wrote to Timothy about the power of Satan, he talked about Satan's effort to take us captive. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 through 26, we read, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So he's not asking us to kill people. He's not asking us to beat people up, to gently instruct. But verse 26, and, this, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them, what? Captive to do his will. So we want to free people from the captivity of the culture and lead them into the captivity of the Holy Spirit. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, man, that's just like trading one captivity for another. And you are absolutely right. Because you are either going to be captive to the world and the destruction that it will take you to, or you will be captive to the Holy Spirit and the eternity that that will take you to. Think about where the captivity of Satan leads as opposed to the captivity of the Spirit of God. The things of this world all promise to make me feel worthy, to make me feel loved and accepted, but you know, friends, in the end, they ultimately fail. Jesus is the only one who can give me my true identity, showing me that I am already fully loved. I don't have to live up to somebody else's expectation to be loved. I am fully loved. You are fully loved. And that's where the captivity of the Spirit leads. We have to make that decision every day to love Jesus with our whole heart. Not just once a week, not just on a Sunday, but every day. John mentioned a craving in our passage. He wrote that we are tempted 
to crave the things of the world. Craving something means that we have this intense, urgent desire for something and we seek it out. And I believe the first steps to loving what matters most, that is Jesus, we need to correct the crave. And this is point one in the outline. Correct the crave. You know, we've already highlighted different worldly desires in this series, but John named cravings for us that we have in our flesh. For example, he mentioned things like physical pleasure. Maybe you can relate with this one immediately. And again, looking back at our text in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So I want us to look at each of those real quick this morning. The lust of the flesh. Now that word translated flesh can mean more, and, and many times we've sort of looked at that more as a sexual temptation. But it actually means more than that. But here's what I want you to know. The culture wants to capture our desires. The culture wants us to desire what the culture offers. Are you hearing me? When, 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 when we will do anything to satisfy our cravings or our passions, you see, we have this desire. We'll do anything. We can't say no to ourselves. Or we will not say no. I should say that. It's not that we can't say no. It's that we won't say no. And certainly, as we think about the, the, uh, how, how the sexual push of this culture has become rampant, the entertainment industry lives off the idea that sex sells. Uh, it's ruled by our flesh and our cravings. That there is much discussion today about sexual addiction. We, we seek after anything we think will satisfy our craving. But then we discover that we aren't satisfied by it. We just want more and more and more. And then what we had doesn't satisfy, so we change it a little, and it becomes more perverted. Possibly you may be with a boyfriend or girlfriend and feel like caving into some passions and you may feel like you just cannot stop yourself because these cravings, these passions are so great, so powerful. There's no way you can say no. Uh, my, my mentor and uh, preacher uh, years ago, Dolan Baker, once made this scenario. He said, if you and your girlfriend or boyfriend are on the couch and things start happening and things get heated and, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't stop myself. I just can't stop. I'm just going to keep going. And then all of a sudden, the, the parents' headlights come through the window of the house. Can you stop? Huh. Okay, so we can stop. So we don't want to stop. So we need God to change our wants. The desire for physical intimacy and connection is not wrong. 
That desire is not a sin. God gave that to us. He created us like that. However, John says, we are often tempted to fulfill those desires in the wrong places. We would be wrong to assume that that phrase, though, is only about sexual relationships. It can also mean things like whatever the flesh desires, like food or sleep or drink or pleasure. The drives themselves are not bad or good. They are what we were created to be. But in fact, each desire, again, is something God gave us. When we're hungry, what do we want? Food. When we're thirsty, we want drink. When we eat or drink, we can be satisfied. It is when these desires become all that matters. Do you see the difference? That's when we have the problem. Do we love eating more than we love God? Do we love satisfying our own desires more than we love obeying God's desires? The culture is telling us that this is the way to do it. The culture is telling us that this is the only way we can have fun or find happiness. So again, the culture is colliding with the values that God wants us to have. And John not only mentioned the lust of the flesh, but he mentioned the lust of the eyes. John listed the, the cravings for everything we see around us. Another way to say this is, uh, again, lust of the eyes. Many things of this world look glamorous at first glance. And I want you to understand that the culture wants to capture our eyes. The culture wants us looking at the things the culture wants us to see. How many of you have ever been talking about something you just having a conversation with your wife and the next day some ad pops up on Facebook? What? I didn't do a Sir, I was just, hmm, they're listening. <laughs> but, but you see, the culture wants to advertise itself, so we're seeking after it. And, and this is talking about our desires and how they trigger, our desires are triggered by something we see. For you, maybe your desire to be famous to have people know your name. So you see these American idols and these celebrities and, and you get caught up in that idea. Oh, I, I want to have that life. But man, if you knew where that life took many people, do you think you'd really want it? <laughs> Maybe so. You may be caught up in all the new shinier things. I gotta have that new this and that new that. You may have the idea that the one who dies with the most toys is the one that wins. This again is the culture trying to say, look at me, choose me, I'm over here, I'm shinier, I'm more fun than God. We may be tempted to keep going back to the same website because there's something on it that is enticing. Or we may be tempted to respond to a lustful feeling that comes our way every time we start scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. And so the lust of the eyes could include greed or coveting what someone else has. You remember Adam and Eve? Anybody remember them? Any of y'all friends with them back in the day? 
God warned them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the serpent came and tempted Eve with the fruit of the tree, she looked at it, and I find it very interesting to see what the text tells us in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Did you catch that? Did you see that? Oh, that, that was an intended pun, okay? Did you see? She saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. This is the lust of the eyes. Because she knew God had said, don't eat that fruit. But her desire for the fruit overcame her desire to please and obey God. Now, John mentioned one more problem we face, and that is the pride of life. Pride is an, an, an exaggerated self-esteem. It is the feeling like, I am better than other people, and it's driven by my ego, right? And so, here's the thing we need to know. The culture wants to capture our ego. Our pride can come at us in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we might not even recognize it until it rears its ugly head. When we're unwilling to listen to anyone else's idea because our ideas are the only correct ideas. Well, I'm sure that we all have opinions and we believe our opinions are right. But how do we treat other people that have an opinion too? See, this is pride. When we are boastful and arrogant, we are displaying the pride of life. Now, years ago, when I was in high school and I played football, no, I did not have a leather helmet with no face mask, okay? But um, <clears throat> that's, that's for any of you that would know what that means. But um, I had a, a really good friend of mine. In fact, we used to, getting ready for football, we would run four miles every day getting ready for football. You can't even believe, as you look at me today, that I, I could run four miles a day. Um, and we would sprint at the end. I, I can't believe it myself. Um, but he, he would often brag about what he was going to do to this other team we were playing. Or he would brag about what he had done to this player he had been uh, working against. And, you know, I think this behavior um, that I was seeing from him was, was, I thought it was just not right. I mean, and I think this behavior has only gotten worse over time. Would you agree? As you watch sporting events and even it's, it's gone from professional to college and now it's even in high school and younger age sports where kids are just getting in each other's faces. They're boasting, they're prideful, and, and it's a shame. There's no respect for referees. Amen, Leon? Where are you out there, brother? Um, there's no respect for other players. There's no respect for coaches. And this arrogance and belittling of other players to make oneself look good is sin. It's sin. My friend in high school was a Christian, and I asked him if he didn't see a contradiction 
between being a Christian and being so boastful and prideful. And he said, well, as long as I can back it up, it ain't boasting. I don't know where he got his definition of boasting from. Because I think that's exactly what the Bible describes. I think he was caving in. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And I think even servants of God can be prideful. You know, sometimes when the preacher is up preaching and we might be sitting there listening and we think, hmm, I think I could do better than that. I'm sure many of you could. <laughs> Instead of listening to gain an understanding, we may be pointing out how we would say that differently or, man, if he had used this point, it would have been a really good sermon, right? Or someone is leading worship. And instead of really just paying attention to the worship and listening to the words and worshiping God, I'm sitting back trying to be critical of the style of worship or the content of the worship. Sometimes preachers can be jealous of the success of other churches around them. Instead of being glad to see the kingdom of God growing, we want to focus on our little kingdom. God forbid that someone else should get the credit for something. All these things are distractions brought on by pride. You see, God knows once we get things like fame and status, they will not ultimately satisfy or fulfill us. But the good news is that we were never made for all of that. There was only one thing made to satisfy our craving for deep abiding intimacy and connection, and that is the love of God. I think God wants to correct our crave. He wants you to hunger after something more than this world can give you. And friend, that is His love. And the way in which we find God's love is first by finding God. And so that brings us to our second point. Find God's favor in, uh, elsewhere in 1 John, the Bible tells us that God is love. When we find God, we find true love, true satisfying love. In 1 John 2.17, we read, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In that verse, we have to pay attention to how John ended that little section. He wrote that the things of the world, the things and the cravings of the culture, will one day pass away. To close out his teaching, John says, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I want us to let these words sink in for a moment. Everything in this world one day is going to pass away. Even those phones with alarms on them, one day those things are going to be gone. <laughs> now look, I, 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 I did a little piece of art right here, and I, I just want you all to appreciate it, okay? I, I don't know if everybody can see it, maybe where you are, um, but uh, isn't this great artwork? I'm, I'm thinking about selling it at, at uh, 
Zaxby's or something. <laughs> but uh, on this board, we have different things, okay? We have all the, a lot of things we've mentioned already, right? Uh, the big house, we're told, this is what you should seek after, money and what it can give you. How about the desire for success to be number one? I, that, that's supposed to be a basketball, but I think I did a pretty poor job. And that's a football, and there's a car. How many of you want a really nice car? But you know, one day, in Luke 21:33, the Bible says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Think about this. One day... It will all be gone, erased when we die. But what will last is God's word. It will never pass away. And throughout the Bible, God shows us how to live as he desires for us to live. When that word is implanted in our hearts, and you know the Bible also says, Jesus is the Word, right? So when Jesus is in us, when the Word is in us, the things we say, the way we act, uh, it all comes down to the love that we have for God. We are to show His love. All the things that we learn from His Word as we live our life. The world's love is what I would call conditional have any of you ever experienced conditional love? Basically, that is, I'll love you if you do this for me. I'll love you if you treat me in a certain way. I'll love you if I think you deserve it. That is conditional love. That is the love of the culture. For instance, those who are in your family, maybe those who agree with you on certain topics, or those who you would consider friends of yours, they're easy to love, right? Most of them. But as soon as someone wrongs you, or someone says something rude to you, or causes you pain in some way, they are no longer worthy of your love. So at least according to the world's standard, you, you are free not to love them anymore. This again, for a Christian... We're seeing the values of Christ and the values of the culture collide. What we have to understand is that the world and all of those other desires will pass away. The culture is not permanent. The pleasure it promises does not last. The feelings of acceptance and fulfillment do not last once we leave the world. Why? Because the culture is so fickle and it is not meant to be eternal. One moment you're a hero, the next moment you're a zero, right? The people who sang your praises are now tearing you down. So whatever this culture offers is temporary. But God's will is going to last forever. There will be no end to the joy that God provides. In fact, it will increase. As time goes by, it is not just for this life. God wants to rewrite the narrative of love.
in your life because His love is unconditional. And here's how I know it is unconditional. None of us here today deserves to be loved by God. Not one person here is perfect. We have all failed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, friends, He loves us anyway. In Romans 3.23, we are told that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even with this being true, God decided to show us love and grace and mercy because we are His children. God has already made the decision to love you and me. If the world had its way, when we fail, when we don't live up to its standards, we are crushed and canceled. But if God has His way, when we fail, we reach out to Him and He lifts us up. He pours out His grace upon us and gives us more fulfilling life than the world can offer. The only question left is, will we make the decision to accept His love and to love Him back? And that brings us to this last thought. It's a daily decision. Many people believe once we, you know, uh, come to Christ, once we love Him, once we accept Him, that it's a done deal. Listen, every single day, we have to make a decision to follow Christ. Because every day, we will be confronted with innumerable worldly temptations to give our lives to something else. Because the culture is coming at us with a vengeance. And if we don't accept its values, it will hate us, and it will try to destroy us. We know Satan is the prince of this world, so he wants to destroy us. So if we buy into the culture, if we do what the culture wants, we're lost already. If we stand up against the culture, if we stand firm, he will try to destroy us that way. You see, he does not want us to find God. He gets us hooked like people get hooked on drugs. They might have a taste, and it may taste good. It may feel good. We have this immediate reaction. But you know what? That feeling doesn't last. So we have to go back for more. And the problem is that the next time, What we did before isn't good enough. So we have to increase and we have to do more to get the same high again. And it's a never-ending cycle until one day we wake up and we're addicted and our lives are ruined. Um, I go out to the HIA house, that's Hope is Alive house, uh, and share with the guys out there from time to time. Some other guys here at the church have gone, uh, we've, we've gone together. So last Sunday evening, I spoke over there and I asked a few of the guys about how they got involved in the drugs and the alcohol. And you know something amazing, not one single guy ever thought that when he took that first hit, that it would lead him to spiral down to the point of nearly death, to lose everything to lose total control. They never imagined 
That's where it would lead. They started out just wanting to feel good. Maybe to mask something, some pain or hurt, or to make them have a bigger thrill, or because they just wanted to fit in. But then they needed more, and they needed more. And one day they woke up and wondered, how did I get here? Listen, these guys are not evil, mean, nasty people. None of them are killers or want to harm anybody. But they came to realize that the stuff the culture puts out is as being fun, as being satisfying, it falls short. If someone tells you that you have to drink alcohol or take a drug to have fun, you ought to get away from them as fast as possible. They don't know what they're talking about. They are the voice of the culture trying to suck you into something that could lead you down a dark path. John knew that we would be confronted with these things. Jesus himself knew we would be confronted with these things. But he gave us his word as a God. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves each day. Do the decisions I make align with the word of God? Do my actions reflect Christ in me? Can people see by the choices I'm making that I am following Jesus? Friends, God sent His one and only Son into the world to redeem the world. We're already sinners. He wants to save us from that. You could say that Jesus was sent on a collision course with the world to break its hold over us. His desire, as we see in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But we so easily go astray and get distracted. The negative and the lifeless messaging of the world is incessant. It is pervasive. It is enticing. But friends, I believe we are able to make a conscious decision each and every day to say no to the things of the world and say yes to the love of God and the things of God. And we will be able when we do that to live the fruitful and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. If we will invest in the word, in the fellowship of of the body, the family of God, in Christ-centered teaching, in prayer, then, friend, you can renew your minds with the things of the kingdom of God. And when you find that the world's values are colliding with the kingdom's values in your life, will you make the decision to choose a path of Christ? What are some minor adjustments that you can make in your life right now that will have a major consequence one or two or five years from now? Is it daily time in God's Word? Maybe joining a small group 
having some prayer with people, volunteering at the church, spending time with a mentor, increasing accountability with others, cutting off the destructive habits that we have and tendencies that we have. Does my calendar and schedule reflect my faith? Am I spending my money in a way that reflects Jesus matters most to me? Would a total stranger see that the kingdom of God matters to me if they looked in my bank account? The list could go on and on and on. It's a daily thing. I want you to do a little internal reality check as we close. Does your life reflect that you love God more than anything else that the world has to offer? The culture wants you to choose it. God wants you to seek Him. Who's going to win the battle for your affection? The point is that there is a space for you in the kingdom of God. Will you make space for the kingdom of God in you? Choose to love what matters most. Father, we come to you today. And we know that we're attacked and bombarded on all sides by so many different things. The, the culture's values are, are so far away from your values and they continue to change. And Father, we just pray that we would be faithful as we seek to please you, to choose your values in our life. Father, give us strength as we collide with the culture. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us to seek after the things you want us to seek after. And Father, in, at the end of the day, may we look back on our life and our history and realize there was a day that I made this choice to let you be the Lord of our life. And I pray that if there's someone here today that has not made that choice, that they could name today as that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.